Okay, we're going to begin. And this story is taken from It's a Rum Life, Book 3, Ivy House Tales, 1970-1984. to This story from about 1971, The Blue Jaguar. I had always set my heart on a Jaguar, the car, not the animal, and just out of the blue, as it were, I was heading for home after a difficult day working for Firestone in the Peterborough area, and I was about to pass a garage right at the southern end of my patch when there on the forecourt in front of my eyes was a blue Mark One 3.4 Jag Saloon. I had to stop and have a look. It wasn't a garage I made regular calls on, but nevertheless, we stuck a good deal. I cannot remember today how much I paid exactly, but certainly not more than £150. Remember, this is 1971. It was a nice car, quite original, in dark blue with blue leather interior. The Mark I Jag had a narrow rear axle configuration and smaller rear window. Apart from that, from the front, they were just the same as their more famous successor, the Mark II. This particular car was, if I remember correctly, first registered in 1956. It was 14 years old. It was a Mark I road car that Mike Hawthorne was driving when he died, not long after becoming Formula One world champion. Many folk could not help thinking that perhaps he was overstretching the traction of that back axle on that fateful day. The Mark II was a dramatically changed automobile with far, far better rear-end stability. The engine in my new acquisition was that famous straight-six XJ twin overhead camshaft arrangement made popular in the Le Mans-winning C and D racing Jaguars in the early 1950s. It was a truly beautifully designed motor car in every way. The blue coachwork cleaned up well. So good, brother-in-law Stephen was delighted when we offered him the use of the car to provide transport for his bride at their forthcoming wedding. I loved that car and it was the first choice of transport when one night I received a call from my estranged mother to tell me my father had died. It was 1972 uh, we were now well established in Ivy House, New Bolingbroke, just 10 miles north of Boston, and it must have been about 2am when she telephoned to say he had been taken into hospital and subsequently died. There was no real need to push its power on that 50 mile journey in the middle of the night, but I had been far closer to my father in those last two years of his life than at any time before. The thought of never seeing him again seemed to compel me to get to the last place he had been alive as quickly as possible. At this time I was travelling the roads of South Lincolnshire, North Norfolk and North Cambridgeshire as the General Line Salesman, the American title, for the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company. I visited each and every part of my allotted patch on regular days every week. Consequently, I knew every road and byway virtually backwards and almost blindfold, and I was in fact driving the car back to the same village I had bought it from just the previous year. 
Those Jaguar engines were quite remarkable, far ahead of their time in design and normally needed very little general attention. Despite its 14 years, that blue Jag hardly missed a beat during that journey. On arrival at the family home, it just had that uneasy, lumpy feel on tickover that told me I'd overdone it. The end result was a chipped exhaust valve caused by two high revs on that long, straight road through Deeping St Nicholas. I don't know what I thought I could achieve by even getting there. There was just mother and grandmother in the house, so I think moral support was important. Jane, my sister, only lived down the road, as it were, in Peterborough, and was soon on the scene. I'd not been speaking to mother for a year or two, and unbeknown to her, my father had recently been calling quite frequently at our home just north of Boston, as his official post office telephone business had taken him into our vicinity. He had an official driver and car provided at that time, as his ill health prevented him driving on official business. Was it fate taking a hand that had enabled him to call and see us in those last few weeks? By the very next morning, I decided I could not stay in the house with three women for long, and phoned Fred, my boss, to tell him I would be resuming my work, but perhaps for a few days it would not be quite so well organised. The funeral took place at Peterborough Crematorium. I knew he was well liked, but was still staggered at finding the building was filled to overflowing by his work colleagues and friends. My father also loved his cars, and the Blue Jag was something he had never managed to own himself, and it was my choice for attending the funeral as a token of that. Following years... I had the engine repaired at Bourne's garage at East Kirkby, a new set of valves in the cylinder head, and it was as good as new. Next to the Firestone Company car, a Mark I Escort 1100 at that time, the Jag was always our chosen transport for private use, and Ruth used it for all her personal commuting to and from work. It was on one of those journeys that the Blue Jag met its match. The location was the car park at Pilgrim Hospital at Boston, where Ruth was working in the operating theatres. She was leaving home, leaving for home one day, and just manoeuvring her car with the sun in her eyes, when a huge four-wheel, sixteen-ton dust cart found itself right in her path. Whether the Jag hit the dust cart or vice versa, I never did quite work out. But the eventual result was that the 18-year-old Jaguar eventually drove away and the dust cart was immobilised. The collision had been just behind the cab of the dust cart and the Jag had been so badly dented its front wing was crushed up onto the front tyre. The wheel would not turn. The collision dented the lorry diesel tank and also severed the fuel line. The dust cart was then proclaimed unmovable. Ruth phoned me at work. Somehow the Firestone office found me and I had to think fast. She was totally stuck, wedged under the dust cart and something had to be done. Truly, in a flash, I thought of a friend in Boston who was the deputy manager of the local National Tire Service Depot. National Tyres 
were the Dunlop-owned retail tyre outlet and had branches in most towns throughout the UK. In no time at all, Mike had arrived with one of the firm's breakdown trucks. It was kitted out to deal with most tyre problems and had heavy lifting gear too. He disengaged the car from the lorry and levered the front wing off the tyre sufficient for Ruth to get home. What eventually happened to the lorry I really cannot remember. Mike was friendly with most of the council employees in the town as his company serviced the tyres on all their vehicles. They had their own workshop, workshops and mechanics and I gather that the severed diesel line, fuel line was the only problem and easily fixed. The Jaguar though was sorely injured and the cost of serious body repairs sadly prevented it gracing the roads anymore. In those days cars like this were to be found within the trade for not a great deal of money. Before long we located a beautiful Mark II 3.4 with glorious red coachwork and red leather interior. But the price had gone up. 432 GFU was to cost us £250. There we are, we hope you enjoyed this story. Brought to you by Cracker Books, written and read by Keith Sanders. You'll find more information and short stories on keithsandersisthestoryman.wordpress.com More free audio stories on this Buzzsprout site and lots of free videos to watch on lots of different subjects. Keith Sanders, the short story man on YouTube. There's a shop. This is the important bit where you can buy our books. Uh, you can download complete books in PDF, ebook form, and very soon audio form too. Have a look at Richard Keith Sanders. Sells, S-E-L-Z dot com. Thank you for listening.